especially at the Christmas season, especially we're continuing a series on the book of Proverbs in the Bible's Old Testament. And how many of you, being honest with me, you've actually tried to read some Proverbs? I won't even say a chapter a day. You've actually tried. All right, that's good. Hey, that's encouraging. Okay. And like, did it, was it a good experience or was it kind of like, ugh, this I don't like, don't understand it? You liked it? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, they're not that difficult to understand, most of them. I mean, some of them have little riddles in them. Um, but you can't escape. I mean, probably some of you have run into it as you've been reading. You can't escape the fact that the pro in the pro book of Proverbs, you got plenty of Proverbs about money. I mean, now nowadays in the church, there's two things that people are afraid to teach on. They're afraid to teach on money, and they're afraid to teach on hell. Uh, I teach on both, all right? And I do that because, you, you know, you, you can't avoid certain subjects because you're afraid people aren't going to like it. My job is to tell you what the scripture says because that's good for you. It may not be pleasant all the time, and sometimes people have a way of teaching, especially about money, that's quite offensive and quite condemning and quite arrogant. Uh, I don't do it like that, and I hope that you're, you will gain something from uh, looking into the Proverbs and what the Proverbs say about money, um, because the truth is, right now, it is insane if you think about the subject of money. Folks, how many of you have been to the grocery store recently? where you're paying like two bucks for an avocado, you know, and you're paying, uh, I mean, you know, a head of broccoli. It's, it's outrageous, folks. I mean, the, the interest rates have tripled. People, people can't buy homes. People can't pay their mortgages. People are struggling. There's anxiety. There's worry. There's tension. And it just doesn't seem to stop, you know. Now, I think Canada, they finally said, okay, we pause all these increases on, on the interest rates. I mean, how many of you have thought that when COVID came, this is the, the real tension that a lot of us are facing? It's beyond uh, the disease of COVID. You know, probably most of you have had COVID in this room and, and it's come and gone from your life. I know we had it as a family, it came and went. But man, the money squeeze doesn't leave, does it? It just can take like this. I mean, and it's, you know, you go to the gas pump and, and then you get this war and the gas goes up, you know, and it's a, a, how many of you are paying like, a, excuse me, a dollar seventy a liter? A dollar seventy a liter? Some of you, you're, you're negotiating just filling up gas. How am I going to do this? Okay, I have to put gas in the car. I have to do this. I have to do this. It's tension, tension, tension. And now you're moving into Christmas. And some of you, you're going, oh, I'm trying to hide how I really feel about Christmas because it's so expensive. You know, it's like people are stressed out of their brains with money. And so the last thing that you need is a sermon to make you more stressed or to make you feel more guilty. So I'm going to try and come at it from a different angle. Uh, first, start by looking at a few Proverbs, and we're going to go through some more uh, during the message. So Proverbs 11, uh, verses 24 to 26. Watch some of this sentiment here. One person gives freely, yet, gives, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. 
A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain. But they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. So the use of, of money, really, really important. Giving or withholding, really important in that time and culture, apparently. Proverbs 19, verse 17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Interesting. And he will reward them for what they have done. Whoever is kind to the poor. 22 verse 7. The rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is slave to the lender. We'll talk quite a bit about debt in this message. The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is a slave to the lender. 23 verses 4 and 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle i don't know if any of you ever seen an eagle fly in front of you those things soar over you right 27 verses 23 to 27 be sure you know the condition of your flocks Give careful attention to your herds in that day, to your money. For riches will not endure forever. And a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. Put yourself back in that time and that, and that place. Again, the, be aware of your flocks. What have you got? It comes and it goes. 28, verse 8. Whoever increases wealth by taking interest or profit from the poor amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. As we said in the intro to Proverbs, not always, right? These Proverbs are not meant to be 100% guarantee blanket statements that always work. They're general principles about making wise choices, right? But here, whoever increases wealth by taking interest or profit from the poor, apparently taking advantage of people, amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. Well, hopefully. 28 verse 27. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. The use of money, taking care of the poor, uh, the caution against borrowing and uh, uh, lending money to people and so on. You see these things all over the Proverbs. And from the Proverbs and other places, I want to give you five really, really easy, basic things to help you to manage your money. The average amount of debt that Canadians have, consumer debt, I'm not talking about houses and, and cars, 
the average amount of consumer debt, last time I checked, it was close to 30000 per household. It's probably quite a bit higher now after the pandemic and all the things that have gone on. So people are struggling, struggling, struggling. And so what we need from the scripture is how do we do this? How do we manage money? And some of the young people in the room, you need to learn this stuff because you have one thing on your side and that's your age. Listen to me very closely. Your age is on your side. And those of you who have small children in the room or you're going to have kids, you need to get this stuff instilled in them while they're young. And I'll explain some of that uh, as we go. So five basics, okay? Number one, stop, stop, stop borrowing. <laughs> stop, okay? And when I say borrow, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define that a little bit as we go because I know what some of you are thinking, is it always wrong to borrow? No, it isn't. But I want to give you a little story from the book of uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. Really, really old story uh, from the time of uh, Elisha, the, the Old Testament prophet, the successor of Elijah. It's a really, really cool story about money. So the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah. Uh, Elisha, I'm sorry. So you have a... You have a, a man who was, for all intents and purposes, he was in his sort of theological training. He's in, he's in Elisha's school of the prophets, if you will. And his wife uh, comes to Elisha, the president of the, of the college, let's say, and says, your servant, my husband, is dead. Her husband has died. And you know that he revered the Lord but now his creditor is coming, and his creditor is going to take my children as his slaves. That's the way it worked back then. If you had debt, they'd come after your family and take them. And so Elisha replies to her. I mean, imagine, this guy is, he has died. He leaves a widow and two children. He's, he's in, for all intents and purposes, theological training with the, with the great prophet Elisha. He's under his tutelage, so to speak. But he dies in big, big, big debt. And Elisha replies to the woman, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? What have you got? And some of you, you know the story. It's clinging in your head. You say, oh, I remember this story. And she says, nothing. Your servant has nothing. There's nothing at all. She said, except I've got a small jar of olive oil. That's it. Got nothing in the house except a small jar of olive oil. MasterCard is coming for my children. You know, um, the, the bank is coming for my children. And all I've got in the house, Elisha, is olive oil. That's it. A small jar. You know? Can you imagine this woman? Here's my husband in the school of the prophets, loves God and dies. Probably saying, why did he go and die? Why did God allow it? He's in the school of the prophets, and this is what happens. And all, he's got, all they've got in the house is a little jar of oil. So some of you know the story. Elisha says, okay, you go and you talk to your neighbors, and you ask your neighbors for a bunch of empty jars. <laughs> 
<laughs> As, you know, can you imagine the woman, uh, empty jars is not going to help me, Mr. Prophet. She says, go, go and ask for uh, all the empty jars that you can get from your neighbors. I want to see a whole bunch of empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. And then go in your house, close the door, shut the door, you and your two sons. You get it? Yes, I get it. Pour the oil that you have into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. Now, this sounds suspiciously like something Jesus did. Like, the, you know, the multiplication of the fish and the loaves and all of this. It's very, very similar. Uh, so, apparently, he's going to make a whole bunch of oil out of nothing. So, she leaves him. She gets all the jars shuts the door behind her and her sons. They bring jars and jars and jars. And she says, well, he says, start pouring. So they keep pouring and pouring and pouring. Verse 6, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And the son says, there ain't no more jars. All the jars are full of oil. And the oil stopped flowing. And so she went, and oil, olive oil is a very valuable commodity in that day. This is talking about, you know, 2,700 years ago. This is very different time and culture than us. So you've got a lot of olive oil in the house. You've got something. There's nothing left. All these jars are full. And she tells the prophet, she says, or she went and she tells the prophet, and he turns around and he says, all right, now go and sell all the oil. And you pay your debt, and you and your sons, you're going to live on what's left. She's out of debt. Her husband has died. Apparently, no estate, nothing. And the man of God has changed her life. Just working with a little tiny thing that she had, God's touch is added to it. She can live. Her sons can live. And it's a beautiful ending to the story. You know, it's interesting that God never condemns this woman never condemns her late husband. It says, you know, debt, debt, debt. You shouldn't have been in debt. You know, fix it yourself. It's not God's problem. It's not my problem. Shouldn't have been in debt. Scripture discourages it. No, doesn't condemn her. Because debt itself is not condemned in the Bible. It is, there's warnings about it, but it's not condemned. And there's a difference, even in today's world, between what you call secure debt and insecure debt. And some of you finance people know this easily. A secure debt means they're going to take something. You've got collateral. In this time, it was her kids. Talk about a secure debt. I'll take your family if you don't pay back. So in that day, that's what it was in that day and place. Today, it's your house, right? That's what a mortgage is. The collateral is your house. If it's a car, it's the car. You know, because these things are really, really, really expensive and rare is the situation or the person that can say, oh, excuse me, I'll just buy this $750,000 house with cash. <laughs> it's very, very rare that this happens. So that's a secure debt. But you know where people are in real problems? It's in insecure debt, like credit cards and loans that have no, there's no collateral. This is where people are getting killed and people are getting crushed is uh, with borrowing, borrowing, borrowing with no means to pay back. And then the debt keeps increasing and increasing and increasing and increasing. And, you know, I, I don't know what the interest rates are now on these credit cards. Um, I think probably the lowest you're going to find is like 15%, you know, 
What's that? That's very low, so says the finance guy. I mean, I think the store credit cards are like 29%. Okay, so just just get this. Uh, and we'll take two fictitious people, okay? We've got, we've got Susie over here, and we've got Sally over here. And Susie and Sally, they both love shoes, okay? So one of you is a Susie or a Sally, okay? So you, they both love shoes. What did I say? Susie over here, Sally over here. Okay, Susie, Sally. So they both, they, they, they text each other, and they say, look, there's a deal on shoes. These, this pair of shoes, they're friends. They text each other back and forth a picture of the shoes, and they say, we're going to the store, and we're going to buy these shoes that are on sale. It's like 70% off of these shoes. So they go, and they, they go and pay for their shoes, and they both pay with credit cards, both of them. Let's say the shoes are 100 bucks. Okay, so Susie pays with her credit card. Sally pays with her credit card. Say, eh, we, we, we got a great deal on these shoes. Paid 100 bucks. And then 30 days later, the credit card company, they want to be paid, right? They want their money that they lent you. And Susie over here, she says, well, I, I borrowed 100 bucks from the credit card company, so I'm going to pay them 100 bucks. Now, it says on this statement, there's just a minimum payment required of like, you know, six bucks. So I could give them six bucks. Hey, it's a lot easier than paying a hundred. But uh, I'm not going to give them six. I'm not going to play that game because then my hundred dollars that I paid on the shoes, forget about it. Now I'm paying more than a hundred dollars because if I don't pay that hundred dollars in full at the end of, a, of 30 days, they start taking money from me while I sleep. So Susie says, I'm paying the 400. But Sally over here, she says, well, I'm paying six bucks. I'm not gonna give 100 bucks, I, I don't have it. So I just give my six bucks minimum payment, get the credit card company off my back, they won't call me for their six dollars, and that's it. And then six months pass. And on the right here, you know, Sally, she keeps going with this minimum payment business. Uh, but Susie, she already paid for the shoes. She, don't got no, she has no debt on her credit card. But they both paid $100 for the shoes. So my question to you is, did they really pay $100 for the shoes that were on sale? One of them did. The other one's still paying. And every month that she didn't pay off her full amount of what the credit card company is sending her, that $100 keeps going up. You, you haven't even paid. When you pay just the minimum payment on a credit card, read the fine print of your statement. You know, where the, you know where that six bucks went? Interest. The first thing that they, they, they put it on is the interest that you owe them. So very, very little of her six bucks went to pay off that hundred that she borrowed from the credit card company. And there she is thinking that she got a deal on the shoes. She's going to end up paying more for the shoes when they weren't on sale than her friend who doesn't owe the credit card on those shoes. Do you see the difference? That's what we need to stop doing is to stop borrowing. Credit cards have only two usages, really. Only two. One is they'll lend it to you for 30 days. You got 30 days to pay it back. So, I mean, it gives you 30 days. You better have the money after 30 days or they're coming for you in the night while you sleep as the compound interest is growing on the amount that you owe them at 
22 percent, 30 percent on a store card, outrageous. They're just scraping it from you. You realize that while you're sleeping, they're taking that money. And some of you young people, when you get into CJEP and university, and you got these people saying, oh, get this credit card, get this credit card, get this, watch out. Because if you don't pay after 30 days, they're coming for you in the night. The next thing that credit cards are good for is points. I know people who donate to the church using their credit cards. Smart because then they then they they go and they, you know they they actually give to to their church or charity or something like that and they use their credit cards they just pay it off every 30 days and they're racking up all these points they can go travel somewhere they can go there they, 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 they. so points is good for and 30 day loan is good for the rest they're terrible they will destroy your life if you get into the habit of never ever paying for the rest of it. And I hear some of you saying, oh, but they're good to increase your credit rating. If you pay them off every 30 days, yes. If you don't pay them off every 30 days, guess what your credit rating does? Starts to go down. You miss one payment, starts to go down, starts to go down, starts to go down. Be careful, stop with that stuff. If, you, if you're a runaway train with borrowing money from these credit card companies and these banks, You've got to learn to control it and to stop it because they're coming for you in the night, scraping your money away. Number two, and this is going to shock you, I'm going to give you an interpretation of a passage that's used to condemn people, but I'm going to interpret it and, and apply it in a very, very different way. Probably some of you have never heard before you in your life. Start tithing. Huh? Oh, here we go. He's, he's trying to loop us into getting money from the, for the church. No, no, just wait me, hear me out. When uh, the word tithe means tenth, and we see this all throughout uh, the Old Testament, even before the law, you have people giving a tenth of their livestock and so on to God, seem to have been a benchmark in the Old Testament. New Testament doesn't really talk about tithing. You don't have any command or dictum to tithe. Jesus praises it, but he doesn't, he doesn't uh, command people to do it. Uh, what you see in the New Testament is more an expression of, well, everything that you have belongs to God. So you've got to get into a mindset that everything you have belongs to God, uh, which really opens the door to even more, as some say. But in any case, tithing is tenthing. And because people often ask, well, you know, I'm trying to be a Christian and serve the Lord and all this. How much am I supposed to give? Well, it's a, a very valid question. In the Old Testament, that seems to have been the benchmark. What happens when you do that? It means you train yourself to live off of 90% because you've given 10% of it away, you see. And when you do that, uh, you will find you will be forced into a position where you do have to know your flocks as the Proverbs say. You do have to know your money. You do have to come to a place where you know where things are being spent because you've just decided to uh, discipline yourself to give away 10% of what you earn. So it puts you into that position. And what people often do is they take this passage out of the Old Testament prophet Malachi chapter 3, which says this, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. And the people ask, well, how? And, the, and God replies, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, yeesh, because you are robbing me. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And this is used, often people feel condemned by this. They say, well, we've got to give a tenth to the church or else we're under a curse, you know, that there may be food in my house. Test me and see this, as says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the, 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 the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there's not going to be any room to store it. I will prevent pests, watch this, from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. You get to a place where A, you stop borrowing, and B, you actually get to a place where it takes a lot of discipline, by the way. Most people in most churches do not tithe. They give about 2%, 3% to their local church. Most Bible-believing, evangelical Christians and so on most of them is 2 to 3%. Okay, that's the stats uh, across North America. Interestingly enough, the ones who do tithe, and there are surveys that justify this, the ones that do tithe, there's a very distinct reason that they do. And it will surprise you what the reason is. It's not because they like their church. It's not because they like their pastor. It's not because they're happy with the product. <laughs> It's not because they've been there forever. That's not the reason why people tithe. And I've been a part of a survey where it is, the stats are true. The reason why people actually tithe, actually give a tenth to their local church, is because they believe that the Bible is the word of God. That's the number one reason. They don't have to like their church. They don't have to like their pastor. They don't have to like the product or the show. <laughs> you know, they don't, well, you know, the show was good today, so I'll put this, well, the show wasn't good today, so I won't, right? They don't do that. They say, well, the Bible is the word of God, and that's why I do it. Interesting, interesting. When you, when you do that, when you stop borrowing and you start living off of 90%, you know what's going to happen? The curse of the credit card company will stop. They're devouring your fields. They're eating your fields. Those pests that are devouring your crops. I'm sorry if any of you work for credit card companies. It's the credit card companies. While you sleep, they are taking your livelihood from you. While you sleep. And they're very consistent. They never miss Ever. Isn't it amazing? Why is it that their systems never break down? Why is it that they never make a mistake? Oh, sorry, you don't owe us all this money. We made a mistake. Never, ever fails. Their systems are perfect when it comes to taking your crops that you earn. Pay it after 30 days. That's the curse application out of Malachi. It's not condemn you so you give more to the church. And by the way, you could put a million dollars in the offering. It doesn't change my life at all, folks. You could put it in. You won't see me driving an Audi the next week, right? My salary is, is governed by a board. It's not, there's, it doesn't change anything. If you put a million dollars in the plate, we'll have a lot of toys to give away. Just saying, a lot of nice toys. Maybe we'll give away an Audi. Just, just kidding. You know, I heard a story just while we're on this subject. We have time. We have time. I heard a story of a funeral where the person who passed away 
gave away her car in a raffle. I have never heard this before. I've done many, many funerals in my life, and I've never done one where the person raffled away their car. The funeral was packed, so they say. And a teenager, I think she was 16 years old, got the car. It was a used, used Jetta, I think. And she said, you know, I'm really happy I got a car that works. Really interesting, isn't it, with the way that you, you can think about money and you know, giving things away. Number three, okay, st start budgeting before you spend it. And for some of you, it's going to take you about six months to know where you spend your money. Some of you, you have no clue where you're spending your money. You just know you don't have any. That, that you know very, very well, but you don't know where it goes. It just comes and it just goes, and it goes and goes and goes. You got to get a hold on that. You got to figure out, like you make a list, you say, what did I really spend it on? You'll be shocked, folks. You'll be shocked how much Starbucks you're spending with their 800,000% markup on their coffee that costs 10 cents. You'll be shocked, Al, sorry if you work for Starbucks, you'll be shocked where it all goes. You'll look and you'll say, my gosh, I spent all this money on this? I didn't even realize that. I had no idea I was spending it on that. Look at where you spend your money, folks. And then you have to say, all right, where do I really want to spend my money? Because I'm obviously spending it in some places where I don't really care, but it's just going. It's going out like a river that doesn't cease. Well, but make a budget. A budget is a plan before. And then just follow it. Say, well, this is how much I spend on this. And as soon as that runs out, I don't spend anymore. This is how much I spend on this. As soon as it runs, that's the way you can do it. Some people who teach this, they say, stop paying with plastic for everything. Even if it's your cap de debit there, your Interact card, stop. Use cash. And some people, that's what they do. They say, this is the cash for this. This is the cash for this. This is the cash for this. And when there's no more cash for this given thing, don't spend any more. That's it. I just load up the cash. And then when it's gone, it's gone. And I have to wait for more money. Because <laughs> I made a plan, and now I follow the plan. You start budgeting before you spend it. Okay. Number four, start snowballing. This is an old, old, old technique, your debt. If you've got multiple, multiple debts, and probably there are some of you in this room, some of you are watching online, you've got four credit cards that you're managing. You've got one that's massive, you've got one that's small, you've got one that's medium, one that's large, then you've got your mortgage on the side, then you get your car on the side, and you're, you're, like, it's, you're in a black hole of depression when you look at your money because of all this, this debt. You're going to be in debt until the day you die. And you look at your money and you say, I'm worth more dead than alive. Seriously, there are many, many people who feel that way. A really good technique starts snowballing it. So you start with, the, with the, the smallest one. And you attack it. You attack it, attack it. With everything you have, you attack it. Because you'll knock that smallest one off first. And once you, let's say you're putting 100 bucks a month on your smallest debt, just for argument's sake, and you, it, it took you three months, four months to pay it off, but you knocked it off. Now you take that same money and you go to the next one. 
because you're using something to pay the next one. So you add to it. And what happens is the amount starts to snowball and you build a snowball. And then when you get to that big, 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 big debt that you're only paying minimum payments on, now you can hit it with everything that you've got with that snowball that you built, you see? And you will encourage yourself and help yourself to get out of debt. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You gotta diligently knock off that debt that you have. It takes diligence. Uh, number five, start saving diligently. Proverbs 10 verse four, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Uh, 12 and 11, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense in fantasy land. Just spend, 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 spend on the credit card, make minimum payments for the rest of your life. It's a fantasy you're chasing. Proverbs 13 and 11, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money, little by little makes it grow, starts saving diligently. You know, they, here in Canada, you got these, uh, what do you call it? Tax-free savings account. Man, that's a nice, a nice, nice thing. Really nice thing. I don't know what age you can start it. I don't know what the minimum age is, but I think it's pretty young. 18. I mean, you're 18 years old in here, and you've started working? Hello. You should, you should seriously consider a tax-free savings account because it's tax-free. So you, you put it in something where you're investing in something, and what you're making, now you're not being cursed by the bank. You're being blessed by the bank. Because when you go to sleep, they're giving you money. You want to sleep better? Save your money. Invest it. Don't stick it under your pillow. Invest it in something. Even with a junky interest rate, you're 18 years old. You discipline yourself to put 50 bucks a month away into something with a junky interest rate. Pardon my crass language there. You, you, you know how much money you're going to have when you're 65? If you just say goodbye to whatever, 50 bucks a month that you're investing? You, 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 they're giving you money while you sleep. That's the blessing of God. Rather than taking it from you while you sleep, that's a curse, folks. Do you want your, you want your vineyards to be eaten up by locusts of credit card companies and banks? Or do you want them giving you money? Because when you invest something, they're saying, oh, we really need your money because we have to move money around too. So when you give us money, we'll give you money. We'll give you interest. And the time that you do this is what makes wealth and blessing. The time. It's not really the amount with the interest rates of today. It's the time. And so if you start to save, and those of you who got small kids, they're, they got this thing, R-E-S-P, right? Registered Education Savings Plan, whatever it is. Hey, the government will match some of the money that you give. So your child can get an education letter. Hello, when the, when the government gives you money, you sign up for that deal. They give it to you. They match up to a certain amount. They say, here, and they give you the money. Hello, if they're giving it, you should be taking it. 
That's blessing, folks. That's being diligent. That's starting to save and use the resources that God has given you for blessing. And you don't live under this awful, awful. I mean, people are taking their own lives, folks. And they're thinking about taking their own lives. They are so far in the darkness of debt. It is an awful, awful place to be. Let me close with this. And musicians, you can come up to the, to the platform and play softly in the background. You know, while, while God wants you to pay debt and God wants you to, to be free uh, financially and wants you to sleep at night, um, you will see it in the scripture. It's very, it's really quite brilliantly done. Um, there is a there is a debt that every one of us has that we can never pay. We will always always be in this debt, were it not for God and God's grace. In Luke uh, chapter fourteen, you see uh, Jesus teaching the crowds. And he's talking about the cost of following him and how, how no one can manage this, you know. Verse 27 of Luke chapter 14, whoever does not carry their cross, when people carried crosses, they were carrying it to their own death. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Then he gives a couple of illustrations. One of them involves money. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation of your tower, and you, but you didn't have enough money to finish your tower, everyone's going to look at you and ridicule you. And they say, ah, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So he's saying, you need to consider the cost of following me. You follow me, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to take up your cross if you want to be my disciple. It's, it's an incredibly high bar that Jesus sets. And the reason why he does this is because really it's impossible for us to do without him and without his assistance and without grace. The, the debt that we owe to God is our very lives. This is the currency that he accepts for sin. This is what he demands. Paul says it this way, the wages, financial term, of sin is death. Who can pay that? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The currency, therefore, that God accepts for the debt that we cannot pay, He pays Himself. This is the Christian message. God becomes flesh in the person of Jesus and pays the debt that we owe to God and stands in our place. He is the currency on the cross that sets us free. We no longer are under condemnation by God because of our sin. No longer sentenced to an eternity apart from Him 
because of our sin, because he comes down and pays it. That's the Christian message. That's the message that comes in at Christmas time. That's why the incarnation of Jesus is so important. God takes on a human form in order to face the cross ultimately on our behalf. So I wonder today, as we uh, close in prayer this morning, if there are any of you who are in the room, and if, I, I don't know some of you, I know a little bit of some of you, but I mean, maybe there are some of you in the room and you say, oh, just to have peace with God, just to have fellowship with God, just to walk through life in relationship with God, where I'm no longer under the weight, under the condemnation of my sin, but it's been forgiven. This I want. This I need. There may be nobody in the room. There may be one or two, but I'm going to give you a chance to respond. If I could have everybody just close your eyes, just so no one's looking around, just so no one is is you know looking oh look my my neighbor over here my neighbor. no just so no one's looking around and you say that's that's what i want i'd like to respond to god i'm not going to call you to the front at all i'm just going to pray a really simple prayer you can pray it quietly or silently even in your seat it, it's it's the authenticity that counts all right and i'm only looking just to acknowledge you so maybe there's somebody in the room and you say oh i just want to have peace with God, want to have fellowship with Him. Can you slip up your hand so that I can see it and that I can pray for you this morning? Yes, thank you. Yeah, I see your hand. Yep, I see your hand. Two, three, four people. Yep. You can put it down. It's fine. Yes. Father, I come to you and ask that you would have mercy on me. God, that you would forgive me, that you would set me in a right place, and that I would be able to walk with you. I thank you for Jesus who died for my sins, and I receive him into my life at this moment and somehow put him first in my life. Thank you, God, for this. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? I hope it's been a blessing to you and not a guilt trip or a sense of condemnation. You can re-watch this message on Facebook or YouTube or our website. And I hope that it's a blessing in your life. Remember, you can uh, pick up a shoebox outside. Remember to pick up your kids. They're in screen number 11. God bless you, everyone. Have a wonderful Sunday.